as Andrew said, my name is Daryl Temple. I see a lot of new faces. Welcome to Hilltop Church. We hope that you feel just that, welcomed. Um, my wife, who is up here taking the offering, um, we get the privilege of co-leading this wonderful church together. And so on our behalf, welcome to Hilltop. Um, we get to start uh, an awesome sermon series. Uh, I, I never really got excited about this time of the year, honestly, um, when it came to preaching. Uh, topical messages kind of irk me. You know, I don't, I, I'm not a, like a topical type, type of guy. And so Easter would always kind of confuse me a little bit. Like, okay, like, like this is something, like the resurrection, the death and burial of Christ, we should be talking about all the time, you know, not just on Sunday. And, and Christmas is, um, is like that to me as well. Although I've, um, over the years, by God's grace and providence, have, have uh, developed a bit of a love now to be more of a topical guy, um, in my preaching. And so I, I get the privilege, and I do count this as a privilege, and this is huge for me because two years you know, before this, I probably wouldn't consider much of a privilege, uh, but I get to talk about Advent. Uh, yeah, we'll be kicking off a four-week series on the topic of Advent. Um, and uh, we're, we're titling this series, uh, Waiting Here for You, Waiting Here for You. And, and in case you um, weren't aware, today actually starts the first day of Advent. Um, historically, Christians take four weeks, starting the last week of November, to uh, commemorate the true meaning of Christmas. Uh, essentially, we celebrate and commemorate the birth of Christ while anticipating and preparing ourselves for the day that Jesus said would come eventually, where he would return establish his rule and reign as king, judge the world and claim his people. The world word, excuse me, Advent, comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. Advent is awesome to me because in the midst of all the chaos and craziness that is Christmas, Advent creates space for longing and mourning. Now, those are two words that we're not used to hearing this time of the year, right? I mean, this is supposed to be a joyful time of the year, and certainly it is uh, for me. I'm a huge Christmas head. I love everything about Christmas, except for getting good gifts for people. I don't really enjoy that. I like receiving good gifts. But getting good gifts for people is another another. another. Another question, but, um, but essentially, we long as sojourners, right? Exiles, people that are not of this world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We long for our heavenly home, and we mourn our own sinfulness and need for grace. That's what Advent is a reminder of. Amid all the lights, the shopping, the Christmas lists, the holiday parties, there emerges in the body of Christ, the church, a deep ache for Christ's return in a guttural sorrow over sin because we know there's something better that awaits us. And essentially, friends, that is a life free from sin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul. I'm sure you're not gonna hear that be proclaimed from many pulpits this morning. He goes on to say, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, 
and who look forward to something greater to come. Now I know it seems a bit dramatic for me to come up here in front of you guys and kind of ruin the most wonderful time of the year, <laughs> right? With such sobering truths, like longing for heaven and mourning our sinfulness. It certainly doesn't fit the American narrative of Christmas, does it? No, it certainly doesn't. To be honest, it seems straight up offensive. But only if your heart is enamored with the grits, uh, glitz and glamour of our culture's take on Christmas, then yes, you'll find my words to be a bit offensive. But what makes this season wonderful, friends, and I'm sure we're, we know this, and just, I'll just say it as a reminder, what makes this season so wonderful isn't the gifts, it's not the parties that we'll all have, although I love them, it's not the shopping, it's not the decorating. What makes this the most wonderful time of the year is that 2,000 years ago, a great light came into the world, shining on a people who dwelled in utter darkness. And ever since then, that light has, has, has spread so far and so wide that the world has never, and dare I say, will never be the same again. Hey, if we're gonna clap, we might as well commit to it, guys. Don't make me work hard up here, jeez. Essentially, this is what the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 9, verse 2. Almost 700 years before the light of the Messiah shined, Isaiah prophetically spoke this. It's up on the overhead. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. It's interesting, not only that this is kind of prophetically speaking of the Messiah, this is also interesting because in chapter eight of the book of Isaiah, the prophet would warn Judah of a coming invasion by the Assyrian army. Essentially, the northern region of the promised land of which the Lord had once esteemed would be devastated and ravaged by this army. And it's in this location, in Isaiah chapter nine, that he declares such a wonderful promise and wonderful blessing. And that blessing is this, is that the land that had experienced such uh, impact in the worst of war would be the first people, would be the first landscape, if you would, to see the light of the Messiah. This is so appropriate that Jesus would come first to this worn war-torn, excuse me, area that's been bar darkened by bloodshed. In contrast, it, it kind of mirrors, doesn't it, and reflects our lives that have been darkened and devastated by sin and how Christ's light has now shined and the light of his salvation has come into our hearts, into those darkest places of our life and brought the deepest of hopes. But yet, this was 700 years later. 700 years later waiting for this promise to come to pass. That's a whole lot of waiting. I can't stand waiting. Anybody else have that problem? Waiting frustrates me, man. It just bugs me, especially, I don't know, it's probably the American side of me. I just want things now. I want things 
as fast as when I like dial up a website, you know, to my favorite, you know, whatever. I, I just, I want immediate gratification. I was standing at Whole Foods just last Sunday with my good mate, Andrew Montoya, and we were getting lunch before a leaders meeting. I mean, I don't know what's wrong with Whole Foods. I don't know what's going on over there. And if there's any employees that are here today, maybe you could mention something to upper management. But what is going on with Whole Foods' way of managing checkout um, aisles and whatnot? Like, they've, they've just implemented over there in Cambridge a, a self-checkout lane. And the thing every Sunday, without fail, is bumper to bumper bustling with people. And it just, that Sunday rubbed me the wrong way. And if I was honest, every time I have to wait rubs me the wrong way. Ask my wife. No, don't ask her. She'll, she'll be very honest and then I'll be in trouble. But I was a little annoyed. I, I was. I remember, I, didn't, I don't know if Andrew picked up on it, but I'm like, what is up with Whole Foods? They're, they're going to need to like rethink the way they're doing this self-checkout thing. It's just not working. And honestly, I was just a little concerned that I might miss the meeting because last week, I, our last meeting we had, I was late. It didn't end up making us late at all. Uh, but the point is this. I, I remember feeling aggravated with the situation. And I mentioned how, again, how Whole Foods needed to work on that. And again, the point of this is that I hate waiting. And I, I, I think I speak for a majority of Americans. <laughs> I really do. Actually, statistically, I'm going to rattle off some facts. We are all in the same boat when it comes to this. Okay, There may be somebody, uh, maybe a, a small percentage of us that are, are a little bit more godly. And the fruit of patience has worked out in your life. But for the most part, we all struggle with being impatient. But I guess as we link this into Isaiah chapter 8, could you imagine with me just for a moment waiting 700 years for the promise of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 to come to pass? Just imagine that you're part of the northern part of Israel by the Sea of Galilee, and your country that you were born and raised in was just devastated by the impact of war. Could you imagine hearing Isaiah's word and, and having a sense of hope? And it, it just giving you like a sense of like, okay, this will pass. And, and maybe, maybe this is when we'll see this great light of the world come into this dark circumstance that we're in right now. Could you put yourself in those people's shoes? I certainly can, because I can relate. But again, as I mentioned, this is 700 years after the northern part of Israel had been invaded by the Assyrian army and, and, and already devastated by the impact of war. I guess my point in sharing my own problem with waiting and kind of the details of Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 is that I guess what I want to say is how we wait matters. You know, I imagine there, there's many of us here that have so many promises, you know, so many promises of, of God's blessing and, and future and destiny and purpose over our life. And maybe like me, some of you have waited a very long time to see those promises come to fruition or materialize in any kind of significant way. And maybe in the throes of waiting, you've become a bit jaded and um, maybe a bit disgruntled and maybe even a bit upset at the Lord. Like, what's taking you so long? 
And, and this is why I, I wanna just talk maybe briefly if I can about how, how we wait for God's promises to come to fruition. And, and, and most importantly, how we wait for the coming of the Messiah matters. Let me say this, there is a right way to wait and there is a wrong way to wait. And this is what we see so many times in scripture. If waiting, this is a good indicator because this is how I gauge my own uh, struggle with this. If waiting stresses you out, right? If you get bored and impatient with waiting, if it angers you and irritates you, then you may be, just you may be waiting the wrong way. I don't know who said this, Oh, I do. I just don't like the person. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was Joyce Meyer. I'm just not a fan. I'm not a fan. I, I shouldn't say I don't like her. I'm just not a fan. But I read this one quote. I'm sorry for being so honest, Joyce. You'll never see this. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I was reading uh, an excerpt from her book, and, and she said this, this, this one thing that just gripped my heart. Now, in light of this sermon, I thought it just was so appropriate. She said, patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. Let me read that again. Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. That is so just imperative for us to grasp that reality. Because friends, much like the people who were kind of in the throes of Isaiah chapter eight and nine, 700 years waiting for the Messiah's light to break in upon their dark you know, uh, circumstances, we have been for the last 2,000 years in a holding pattern in waiting ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ, our King and Lord and Savior. And how we wait matters, and I'll just say, you know, over the course of like 20 plus years of walking with Jesus, I can confess that I've not always done this thing called waiting well. Can anybody, you know, relate to that? You just haven't always been um, the greatest of waiters as you're waiting for uh, a, a God to, to, to release his son into the earth, to reclaim his kingdom, to, to, to regain and, and take his people with him and rule and reign as king and judge the world of sin. I know I have become very impatient, almost to the point that I need seasons like this to even remind me that there's going to be a second advent. Much of our lives are, are lived so disconnected from the reality that Christ is going to return one day. Let me say that again. Most of our lives, most of our messages, most of what you hear on, in the pulpit is so disconnected, so largely unrelated to the coming of Jesus Christ. How many know Christ is coming one day? We're not afforded. We're not really afforded with knowing when that day is. Thanks God. But the truth is, we need to spend our lives, our very lives, how, no matter how many years you get, 80, 90, 100, if God blesses you, we need to spend our lives preparing ourselves for that return. That may seem 
a bit dramatic to say, November 27th after Thanksgiving leading into Christmas, but it's true, how we wait matters, how we are preparing ourselves for one of the most monumental events in human history matters. And my concern is most of the church lives largely unaware. <laughs> just, we've just turned all our messages into how can I receive? How can I be blessed? What's in this thing for me? Well, I'll tell you what's in it for you, eternal life. If we're gonna clap, commit to it. And that's a, that's a pretty good, that's a, that's a pretty good blessing. I don't even, I don't even want to call it, I think calling it a blessing kind of just short changes it a bit. That's huge. But patience is needed. And how we live, how we, as Joyce Meyer says, behave. I know we don't like that word because we so preach. And I affirm that Christianity is not about behavior modification. No, it's about behavior transformation. You don't tell me, I'm not even gonna go there, Jesus help me, because I'll get down in the path that just will not land well. But it's about being transformed. And yes, in that, our behavior is modified. It's corrected, it, it reflects, as I preached just a couple Sundays ago, that of the transformer who is Christ. It looks more like Christ. We sound more like Christ. We act more like Christ. How we wait matters. How you're preparing yourself for the most monumental day in human history matters. It matters so much more. Let me just say, it matters more than anything. Anything. Period. I'm not yelling at you. I'm a very happy guy. I got two kids, awesome wife who I just am amazed that I even got. Um, but like, I'm a happy guy, but I feel passionate over this. According to statistics, American, Americans, excuse me, on average, spend a staggering 37 billion hours waiting voluntarily. Now, I don't know if this is true. This is actually from an opinion piece from the New York Times, but I, I found it interesting. You know, it, the, the author went on, and I, I'd have to agree, he says this, it's these days, it's very common to see lines for concerts, yep. Lines for new restaurants, new pop-up restaurants and such, as well as lines, and we see this all the time for the latest tech gear, snake around buildings and sometimes entire blocks, right? So, so, so waiting is a very, very much part of our life, you know, and we, we're willing to do it for, for, I guess, what we perceive to be the right issues, right? Uh, just a little fun thing that I, I found interesting about the human condition, uh, but a Houston airport actually came up with a solution for long wait times at baggage claims. And it's interesting, they didn't really solve the issue of like how long it takes uh, for you to get your bags. They just kind of redirected the traffic. Let me read a couple of things. So the airport received several complaints in 2019 that their speed for getting people's bags off the airplane and on the baggage claim conveyor had dr drastically um, become more complicated. And so their solution was to move the uh, arrival gates further from the baggage claim. <laughs> I, don't, I found that humorous, like, and this is, this is their solve. 
This gave people a longer walk and kept customers preoccupied, not having to simply stand around and wait for their luggage uh, to come along made the perceived wait time go faster and the complaints surprisingly in just a little under a year's time went to zero. <laughs> and so you're not just waiting by the baggage claim, you're just walking to it and somehow this solves the problem of our impatience. The airport again didn't solve, they just made people walk further. The Pew Research uh, study said that, um, that people under the age of 35 um, are in danger of their hyper-connected lives or because are the result of their hyper-connected lives. The, the negative uh, effects, uh, effects excuse me, of been, being connected through the internet, social media and such, um, they give us this feeling of instant gratification but there's also in the throes of all of that, a loss of patience. And this is the war that we're up against today. Patience in the Bible is, is commonly defined as the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, suffering without angry, being angry, excuse me, or upset. Patience is something that the Bible champions and for good reasons. You see that patience originates from God in scripture. Patience is the fruit of the spirit in scripture. Patience is the fruit of self-control and a part of godliness in the scripture. Patience was demonstrated by Christ. Patience helps us grow during times of trials. Patience allows us to be strengthened and blessed by God. And lastly, patience, get this, is pleasing to God. This Advent season, I'm praying and believing that God will set me from a free, excuse me, from an impatient spirit. I, I, I pray that all of us, through the course of these next couple of weeks, as we talk about Advent, as we talk about waiting here for your return, Jesus, will grow in our understanding and even our behavior of patiently waiting. Do you, by chance, struggle with impatience? Does it irritate you to have to wait? Do you get annoyed when things take longer than they should to get done? Then like me, you're a prime candidate to let the fruit of God's patience lay hold of your heart. I don't know about you. Again, I, I shared earlier in the sermon, I love this time of year. Everything that I'm being critical of, I am, ask my wife, the biggest fan of. I will go home this week and decorate my house. I will buy the best gifts I possibly can afford for my kids. I will get immersed in family life, in decorating, wrapping presents. I will lose myself like a wild man. But I don't want to lose, let myself go so far where I lose the true meaning of what this time is all about. And I pray 
as a church, we all follow suit. And I, I believe in order to do that, God has got to lay a hold of our impatient hearts, of our need for instant gratification, and allow the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of patience, to consume us, possibly daringly, in a way that it has never consumed us before. And this so transcends this season. Man, I, I need the fruit of patience every day. Every moment I step in my car, every time I get up to this pulpit and preach, every moment I'm with my family, I, I so need it desperately. And as we await, I think more importantly, the coming of Christ, the one fruit of which we so direly need is the fruit of patience. And so I hope that you'll join us um, these next several weeks as we get into some stories of people who are just like us, who were in moments in the Bible stories impatient. And, and what was kind of the outcome of their impatience? What was God trying to work in their hearts at that moment of impatience? And I'm praying that we will all learn from these stories as we enter into the Christmas season, let us grow, let our hearts grow more fonder, more committed, and more connected to the fruit of patience. Let's bow our heads. Well, Holy Spirit, as we bring this time to a close, I have done my best to convey what I believe is your word, God, for us today. My Lord, um, we, we, we need more than just words. So right now, in this moment, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and to do a work within us, Lord, that so, so transcends, Lord, what was spoken today, Lord, um, there, there can not only be just us mentally ascending God to truth, Lord. We can't just, you know, retain and capture this moment intellectually, God. We need something that supersedes, that is so much more powerful than just words from a man sitting behind a podium. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, God. God us as a nation, God, we are it's, it's so much need of your help, God, and your rescue, God. We don't even realize, God, sometimes the level of our needs, God. We don't even understand just how much we need because we're so blessed. But God, I ask, Lord, that you would remove the veil that blinds us, God. R remove the veil of our own blessing, God. The, the way that you've poured out, God, and, and given us so much in the area of science and technology. You've given us so much, God, in the area of education and wealth and prosperity. You've given us so much that it's blinded us, God. It's interesting how even blessings can be a curse in a way. And so, Father, open our eyes to see 
the level of our need, God, this holiday season. Let us not get lost and taken easily by our culture's take on Christmas. Let us be reminded of precious, powerful truths that exist in Scripture and make us that set-apart people, God, that people who are in the world, living in the world, but not of it, God. Let there be a distinction between us and the way we live, God, the way we celebrate this time that stands very differently than the way our culture presents it. So Holy Spirit, come. Come. Oh, you who bears the fruit of patience in our life. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Pour out patience upon those impatient attitudes and behaviors that so consume our life in Jesus' name. You know, I don't know even how to open the altar here and um, pray. I, I do know that we want to pray for those who need prayer for sure. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I'm, I'm struggling in an area that's kind of unrelated to the sermon, or maybe it's related either way, man, we want you to come. But, but maybe what we do, if, if, if there is this, I see this week I acknowledged, you know, and I'm, I'm hoping to continue this. I acknowledge that I'm a very impatient person and I had to spend some time. I know doing something of which we all hate and don't think exists anymore in the church. And that's repent. I had to repent and turn my way. And, and maybe there are some here today that you just need us to provide some space to do just that, to, to repent. Turn from impatience and turn towards the help and the rescue of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, then yes, a space is made. And then again, I would be foolish to assume that everyone here is a follower of Jesus Christ, that you've received him as your savior. That, that, that you understand even what I'm talking about today and uh, that, that you have made that choice to, to follow Christ. I would be foolish to assume that. And so with every head bowed and eye closed, I just wanna provide. I'm not gonna work this up, but man, today is the day of salvation. If there's anyone here that is, I would like to inquire, I would like to find out some more information. What is this thing? How can I have this gift of patience? What, what, what is this? I, I want to know more. I want to know more. If that's you, with every eye, please, every eye bow. This is, Stop looking at me. I don't know how more clear I need to say it. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you, just stick your hand up. I want to pray with you after. I just don't want anybody to feel put on the spot. This is between you and Jesus. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to work hard at this. But, it, but if, if you're like, yeah, I, I, I want to I know more information. I want to I wanna inquire more information about this Christ that you're proclaiming. Just stick your hand up.
Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And now we ask, Lord, that you'd write these precious truths on our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, the Info Center is open. If anybody's here and you're like, man, I would like to find out some more information on this church, then that's the place you want to go. There's a cool gift over there. Um, also, we're, we're still trying to um, raise some money for our youth event, uh, that we, the conference that we just went on. Uh, we're kind of in the hole, but we have some, listen, I, I, I stand by these things. There's, um, what are they called? Whoopie pies, yes. They are amazing. Uh, this baker who lives in Salem, New Hampshire, makes them for our family. And I, listen, they're amazing. You're gonna wanna check it out, I'm just saying. I think there's like 40 over there. So, so get them, give a little money uh, to the youth so that we can pay off the debt. Um, and then of course, Christmas in Cambridge, guys. Next Sunday, we will, by God's grace, celebrate and um, bring together a lot of the gifts that we secured over these last couple of weeks to bless the community, the people of our community that so need it. And so you can get to the giving tree. There's be some people over there. We still have quite a bit of hill to hot climb. I think we have 25 um, gift cards that we need to um, get. We have, I don't know how many more gifts we need to secure, but there's a lot of needs that exist in the city of Cambridge, and we're just believing by faith that we're gonna be able to provide for people who need it and for people who need our help. Church, I love you. I really do. I hope that none of my antics offended you too much. Um, but uh, have a great rest of your day, and of course, have a great week, and we'll see you next. <laughs>